This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. Welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, we've got a really big, exciting episode here. And to help me review some of the amazing cars coming to Amelia Island, I'd like to welcome Brad Phillips. Brad, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing really good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Amelia is looming right over the horizon. So um, I think we're all watching these lots very carefully to see um, what's going to be, what are going to be the big hits. Well, it's going to be hard to pick on this one because I looked at our run list and it's just one amazing car after the other. I couldn't believe some of the cars that we've gotten consigned to the sale. A lot of fun ones that are trending in the marketplace. It'll be a lot of fun to watch those and see what they do. But one of our taglines, I saw it in one of our emails and it's in our blast and I think it might even be part of the catalog, is it says RM Sotheby's brings the best from across the ages. So to show our listeners how uh, deep our portfolio goes for Amelia, I wanted to run through some cars really quick. Pretty much one from every decade. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. Now, interrupt me if you want to talk about any of these, but I'm just going to run through them. So starting, we've got the 1913 Stutz Bearcat. Uh, next, this is a little bit of a cheat. We have a 1930 Duesenberg Model J convertible sedan by Murphy. That's a 1930 model, but I'm putting it in the 1920s because it was technically built in 1929, right? I think you can cheat on most of the early Duesenbergs like that. Sure, no problem. <laughs> sure, why not? All right, from the 30s, we have a 1934 Packard 12 individual custom convertible by Victoria. I'm sorry, Victoria by Dietrich. And then in 40s, we have the Delahaye 1947. In 50s, we got the 1953 Mercedes-Benz 300S Cabriolet. And then in the 60s, 1965 Ferrari 275 GTS, one of my favorite cars of all time. And then in the 70s, an Aston Martin DB6 1970 car. And then we jump to the 80s. This is an interesting one. 1985 Chevrolet Camaro IMSA GTO. So we actually have a race car. And then in the 90s, it's a 1993 Jaguar XJ220. In the 2000s, we had the 2003 Aston Martin DB AR1 Zagato. And then we have a 2019 Bugatti Chiron Sport. And then for this decade, we actually have a 2020 McLaren Speedster. So what do you think about that, Brad? Do we represent pretty much everything except the 1900s and the 1890s, right? Well, you, you covered it pretty good there, really. Um, it is fun when you look at these auctions and you think that maybe there is something for everybody at these things. And I, you know, the very first one you identified was one of my favorite cars that is going to be sold at Amelia. And that's the 13 Stutz um, Bearcat. These were um, incredible, uh, stripped down, 
race cars of their time. And the story behind this is so cool when you're talking about an aerial surveyor in Montana who somehow happens to notice that there is a frame and a body of what looks to be a really interesting (laughs) car down on this ranch. And lo and behold, they find out it is actually this car, which was then restored and brought back to condition like this. It's super, super cool that stuff like that still happens today. I just love it. Yeah, it is really amazing. Now, I know we have a lot of cars to cover here, but is there anything else on that decades in review you wanted to talk about? <laughs> well, you you hit some of the some of the hits here. I mean, the 65, the Ferrari 275 GTS, that's absolutely gorgeous, you know, V12 power sports touring car by Ferrari. You can't beat that. I've seen those on on tours many times and they're great open road cars. So when you when you look at a list like this, you're like, okay, what would a collector do with these cars? That's an example of something that you can get out and use and have an absolute ball with. And, uh, you know, you get the last two, your your Chiron and the Speedtail by uh, McLaren. You know, those are incredibly um, powerful cars that I hope you have a racetrack uh, to fully (laughs) utilize the performance of those. And, uh, you know... Upper values on the three million dollar range, you might have a racetrack of your own. For you might, it might or just be over this. Access yeah. to go, uh, you know, access to rent one for the day. But uh, it might be in your backyard, for all we know. So. Could be. <laughs> now you mentioned a car for everyone, and I love that you said that because the very first car I actually wanted to talk about, outside of the ones from every decade, is a Porsche nine seventeen thirty. No, that's not a car for everyone, but this is a junior cart. So this is one for the kids which I thought was really cool. So I said, we have to cover this. Um, I know someone out there who would love to have one of the real Porsche 917 Sunoco cars, and those are probably, what, $10, $15 million cars now, and there's only two or three of them. Well, this one you can have for $50,000 to $60,000. How about that, Brad? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's awfully cool. And and really in the history of this car, when when you're looking at, this is actually really meticulously created. There's a lot of detail in this, and it's actually meant to, you know, be able to be wor- a working dog in the pits if you want it to be, um, you know, pulling trailers around and things like that, not just uh, something to look at. So I like it. There's a lot of utility. You know, you could have your a Honda Trail, uh, you know, little motorbike to run around on, and then you could be pacing the junior cart here, pulling your, your tire trailer around. I, I really like it. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, the next car is, I don't know if it is or not, but it's one of the cars that blew me away that the history it has. And so we all have heard about the Cunningham cars. You know, there's, I don't know, 31 or so. I think Tom Cotter, previous guest on the podcast, he's an expert. He knows where every single one of these cars are. They're iconic. They're American. They're V8. They're beautiful. Uh, what's amazing is they only made five of these cars in we five of these cars in cabriolet form. And we have one of those five at the auction, 1953 Cunningham C3 Cabriolet. And the estimate on this car is 900 to $1.2 million. What's amazing is not only is it one of 31, but then it's one of five. And what really blew me away is this thing was shown at Pebble Beach in 1956. I mean, how many cars can you say that that has occurred, right? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really cool too, because obviously this car, um, even it was very new, was already identified as something very, very special. And to be able to trace that history 
from 57 all the way to today at these shows. It's uh, it's absolutely epic. Just love it. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Tom uh, Cotter. He is one of the uh, preeminent um, Cunningham experts and um, and collectors. And there are several people out there that are um, heavily involved in protecting this mark. And yeah, getting them all together, every one of them, um, the other year, I believe it was up at Greenwich where they had every every one of them. What an unbelievable thing to have happen. All the surviving Cunninghams all in one place. You know, it's funny, as I see that it was once owned by Briggs Cunningham's daughter, Lucy, and I wonder if he offered her one of the regular hardtop versions, coupe versions, and she said, no, I want a convertible, Dad. And so he made it for her. I, you know, maybe. I don't know. The only five of them, right? So I like to think that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next one's a 1975 BMW 3.0 CSL Batmobile. I am not that familiar with these cars other than they're just gorgeous. This one's 325 to 375. I picked this one just because BMWs have been on a tear for a long time in the marketplace. The next gen is really going after the M3 cars. And when I look at the Haggerty Trends, latest three years, this is up 27.5%. Latest one year, up 22.1%. So it's definitely appreciating in value. What do you know about the 75 BMW? Well, the, the, the Batmobiles here, the CSLs, were, were obviously a special lightweight racing version of um, the E9, which is an incredible BMW model. These had plexiglass windows, um, some special aero, um, these super cool, even beginning at the, at the front, those little rubberized strips that go across the front fenders to help direct air down around the body, goes over the roof, over a little spoiler, and then it's got that really cool little wing on the back. Yeah, these are really, really neat. These are incredibly popular. Uh, they're really rare. The price is going to reflect that, obviously. And, um, you know, you've got the 49th. I love anything that's like one of the first 50. I think that puts it in pretty rare air. But um, but these are great driving, incredible 3.2-liter cars that um, go do anything you want with. It's welcome everywhere. Right. Yep, it is beautiful. The next is a 1968 Iso Grifo GL Series 1. Now, I picked this one because, as you know, in Scottsdale, we had one of the cars, the big 7-liter cars, really kind of outperform, over-exceed expectations. And it's one of the few cars I've driven of that era uh, that's so special, uh, European-bodied. So I'm curious, this one is, the estimate is 350 to 400, one of only 413 uh, built. Uh, what are your thoughts on the ESO? I know you love these cars, right? Well, I, I do, and it's the best of both worlds, and this is my kind of hybrid. I like, like I've got a Sunbeam Tiger, so I love a British car with a Ford V8 in it. So why not a beautifully styled Italian car with uh, a Chevrolet V8 in it, right? This is essentially a Corvette powertrain from um, from this same era, and it's absolutely incredible. You you get certain people who really want to drive their cars, but maybe they get a little intimidated because of oh, it could be um, take some specialized tools or someone who's been in the game for a long time to understand the tips and tricks of keeping them running right. Like if you had a Lamborghini Espada or you know something like that that had a you know, more carburetors than common sense, right? Right. Well, this is this looks beautiful. It's got acres of leather in it, handles good, and it's got that Chevrolet V8 in it. So you're on a tour in this thing, something goes wonky, chances are your local Napa can get you back moving down the road <laughs> temporarily. So what's not to like? Right. You have the gorgeous European beauty from the exterior, then you have the reliability aspect of an American big block on the inside. So 
Yeah, great point. All right, our next one, I'm going to hop over to the 1960 Porsche 356 Carrera Zaccato Speedster Sanction Lost. Interesting title on this one. Now, what I know about this particular car, it's my understanding that these are based on some Zagato 356s from the 60s. So they were actual period cars that were built. And to kind of commemorate those, they made eight additional ones recently for pretty much, you know, clients directly would, would you know, pay for them and have them custom built. But they would reflect the originals. Uh, this estimate is five, 450 to 550 And I thought this was interesting because it's a recreation, so it's not the original. I'm curious to see what it will do in the marketplace. Beautiful car. Uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, Porsche? Well, I, it's really incredible. I mean, really anything with the word Zagato on the end of it, whether it's an original or a recreation faithfully of an original, um, is going to sell really well. You know, there were some race cars that were lost tragically in accidents and could not be recreated um, from original parts. And that's what this is. It's a, it's an absolute um, tribute to a very famous car from that was lost in period. Um, so it's really neat. It's, um, you know, for the person that who, um, who thinks an original Speedster is just too a little more common than what they're interested in, um, this is certainly um, a modified version of it that they can uh, show and be the only one like it anywhere they take it. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's really, really a beautiful car. And it's nice because people ask about it. You can kind of give the history of the original car, which is pretty cool. All right, sometimes on this podcast, I end up covering some of the same cars because I want to see how they perform in different auctions. Well, this is one I guarantee has never been talked about before on this podcast. It's the 1955 Dodge Firebomb by Gia. So this is a concept car. It says here it's a direct descendant of the acclaimed Dodge Fire Aero Concepts, immediate predecessor to the ultra-exclusive dual Gias. Now, the estimate on this one is 900 to 1.1 million. I think, if I'm correct, most of the dual Gias trade in the 450 to 600 range. So figuring that this is a one-off special... That estimate does seem right on. It's a gorgeous mid-50s concept car that you can drive. So what are your thoughts about 50s concept cars? (laughs) You really, you hit so much of the history of this. It's pretty epic. Uh, You know, dual gears were, uh, you know, the cars of the Rat Pack, right? I mean, these were incredibly famous, hand-built, awesome so if you can have one of these, you're, it's a link to history. Um, and again, something you can drive and enjoy. Not too complicated. No, no, and it's absolutely gorgeous, and it has a Hemi V8, so there's nothing wrong with this car. All right, the next one's a 1994 Bugatti EB110 GG prototype. Estimates 2 to 2.5 million. Um, you know what? I can go through the list here and give my opinions, but I want to know yours up front. <laughs> <laughs> Well, see, this is the problem with me. There's not a car I don't love, right? Um, an EB110 is, you know, it's it's four-wheel drive. It's quad-turboed. It's got every bit of goodness that Bucati knew how to throw into a car when this was created and really brought the brand back into, uh, you know, the modern lingo of a supercar. This is, you know, before the um, the Veyron and the big partnership with Volkswagen and all those kind of things. So um, I'm really excited to see this out there. Um, the one that we have is actually a prototype, um, the 94. So when you look at this, this, is, this really is where it all began. And uh, I just love these things. They took this around for promoting and you know exhibitions around at shows 
think about that when you're at Pebble Beach or Amelia Island and you happen to see these one-off, you know, promotional show cars from different manufacturers, you could be looking down the road 20 or 30 years and that now is um, part of the exhibit, not just a way that they're going to be able to make more of them and sell them. So it's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. And honestly, when these first came out back in the early 90s, I wasn't crazy about them because I wasn't in love, but I think they've tr- they've aged tremendously well. And I think one interesting period car to compare it to is the F1, the McLaren F1, which those are trading for 15 to $18 million now, because this one actually held two top speed records prior to the F1 hitting, I don't remember what it was, but whatever the record-breaking number was, uh, for the F1, and yet this car is estimate at two to two point five million dollars. The other thing is interesting is the next gen collector has really grabbed a hold of these. I mean, look at the three year change up sixty seven point five percent, and then the one year change up thirty seven point five percent, and then this is the GT, which I think there were very few of the GTs when you look at the total number of EB one tens. There wasn't many to begin with. I think one hundred and ten, and I think of those maybe 10% were GTs, and then it's the prototype. So you've got special on top of special on top of special. (laughs) Everything going for you. All right, our next one's the 1981 Porsche 924 Carrera GTS Club Sport. Uh, The estimate on this one's 350 to 450. And I honestly, I picked this one because one of the first RM Sotheby's events I went to was the Taj Mahal garage sale a couple years ago in Dayton, and it was a lot of Porsches, and one of these cars was there. And I'm not that familiar with this car. And I walked around and I asked the folks. I didn't work with RM at the time. I asked the folks there, the car specialists. I said, of all these cars here, which one's your favorite? And three of the five I picked, picked that little 924 Club Sport, which really blew me away. Because there's, you know, there's a Carrera Boxster there or a, a Carrera Speedster there. I mean, just amazing cars. Yet three of them picked this one. So would this fall in uh, your bucket list, Brad? Yeah, I think this is pretty neat. Um, you know, one of the things that I like the most about this is an enthusiast bought this car new, right? This was created for your weekend warrior to go and do track fun stuff with. Um, and it came from Denver, Colorado, which uh, where I lived for a long time. So I, I think that's super cool. Um, and like any of us, the original owner thought about, well, I bet I could just drive this on the street, too, if I wanted to. And uh Turned out that that was completely illegal, and it was not what he was able to do. So I love I love the story. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great story. That is really great. Well, we're going to, get, going to continue with Porsches. Uh, we have quite the collection of Speedsters. And again, there's a reason I picked out these Speedsters. As I visit collections, one thing I'm seeing and I'm hearing, collectors want one of each of the Speedsters. There's four out there, different generations, and we have three of the four coming up for sale in Amelia. So the one we do not have is the original Speedster from the late 50s, early 60s, but we do have the follow-up one. So one of them is the 1989 Porsche 911 Speedster. We have two of those, actually. And the one-year change, I'm sorry, the three-year change is actually down slightly, but the one-year change is up 3%. Estimates 175 to 225. And then we have a a 1994 Speedster. That's the next gen. And then we have a 2011 Speedster. So where does your heart lie on the Speedsters? Well, I can't help it. I like the 89. And I'll take the silver one, thanks. <laughs> uh, you know, this uh, the G-bodies are a, a real sweet spot for me these days. I've got an 87, just regular G50 coupe that I bomb all over the country in. And uh, the Speedster of that era is just 
so special. Um, matter of fact, I've got a friend who had one um, when it was new and then sold it, you know, later on for not nearly the money that they trade for now. So if I ever want to hear a grown man uh, cry, I just call him up and mentioned um, 89 Speedster. It's really a lot of fun. You can do that with a lot of these cars. <laughs> but it's what? great. They, they went through, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a special low-cut windshield that's kicked back more. Um, it's got that special clamshell over the rear seats. I mean, it's... There's some real differences. They didn't just hack the roof off and take the top six inches off a windshield. There's a lot of engineering that went into these to make it what they are. They're they're very special. Yeah, and I misspoke. I said there were four Speedsters and four different generations. There's actually five because they did have one for 2019, which is one of the prettiest ones ever made. And that was a very special car. So when you hear someone collecting the Speedsters, make sure they have all five of them. <laughs> so... Um, I will say the 2011 is interesting because the latest three years, it's up 27.6%, latest one year up 10.1%, and uh, that estimate is two seven five to $325,000, a beautiful one. So, yes, we have three of the five available at Amelia. So. Well, what does this keep proving, right? If um, a manufacturer makes a truly limited edition of one of their most popular cars, Chances are these days it's going to go up in value. So that's really pretty cool. Yeah, and speaking about limited editions, I didn't say how many of each. I don't have all the info, but the 2011, there were only 356 of them to you know kind of mirror the original Porsche 356. And the 94s, there were 469 of them. So very limited production, like you said. All right, the next one's a 2006 Spiker C8 Spider. I think this one because I've been hearing a lot of folks talking about this car, how it's underappreciated, undervalued. It's been off the radar. I mean, it's an analog supercar. You can get in manual, which is pretty much the winning formula for anything from the 2000s, and yet we have a 2006 available. What's your opinion on the Spiker? <laughs> these, these things are nuts. They are. I've always loved them. Um, you know, it's the interior, it's, it's art. Every square inch of this thing is designed, not just for performance, but for how it looks, uh, engine turned aluminum and stainless everywhere you look. But I, I think the biggest thing that people remember about spikers when they see them is that gear change. Yeah. You sit in and it is truly, it's a manual transmission, thank God. And when you move that lever, it's got these uh, two rods that are exposed, so you see everything that happens. So you're you're not going to want your driving partner to be stacking root books or cell phones <laughs> anywhere on the console to get in the way of that gear change. Um, but there there are a million details with these things. But just this is one when you truly sit in the cockpit of a of a spiker, you uh, you are in something special. It is like nothing else. Why do you think the values have been depressed? Well, I think it's just one of those that hasn't had the the same um, jump in the market yet, right? I mean, you look at so many other cars and people just tout how fast they are and what people are doing with them. Spikers, while they're fast, they've really been more about the styling. And I wonder if now people are finally able to take that connection between the performance potential and the fact that there's just nothing else like it that's been produced and now finally that's adding up into something being really interesting. You know, it's, you know, everybody has the, their uh, their moment in the sun and maybe it's Spiker's turn now. 
Yeah, and, and all ships rise with the rising tide, right? So all the other analog supercars that are manual from that era have kind of gone nuts, and so this is probably the next on the list as well. So could be yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, the next one goes in the opposite direction, but probably the same thought behind it. Nineteen thirty-one Bentley eight-liter special. Uh, this is a beautiful, almost like a little, you know, I say little, a big race car with that big Bentley 8-liter engine. Now, I know you've ridden and driven, driven in some old cars. Have you ever been one of these? <laughs> I wish. I will have to say I have not driven a Bentley yet of this era, and it would be absolutely epic. The, uh, I think the 16 Hudson that we run for, uh, for Great Race is probably similar in power output, mm. but... It doesn't have the legs that a Bentley does. Um, I've been on some uh, some big tours, uh, the Colorado Grand and some others, and four and a half and eight liter Bentleys. There is nothing like seeing one of those things go by you on a road and uh, just about suck the headlights off your car. They are fast and capable and have an incredible following. They're epic. Yeah, yeah, they are. This one is absolutely gorgeous. It's like a dark burgundy color with black interior. Uh, beautiful, beautiful car. All right, we have one more to go that I wanted to talk about that obviously if you have any you want to talk about, just let me know. But the last one's the 2006 Ford GT. Now, I know we've talked about these a lot. The main reason I picked this one is something crazy is happening with the Heritage Edition cars from 2006. I mean, they're they're selling for $700,000, $800,000, and I know that's going to impact the quote-unquote base car. So we actually have two at the sale. I believe one's silver, and then this one is speed yellow. So I'm just really more curious about what these cars are going to do at the auction. Um, obviously, they actually Ford nailed the design on this car. They're absolutely gorgeous cars, and they run great, beautiful, powerful, everything you want in a supercar. What's your experience with the Ford GT? Well, it's it's similar. I think the Heritage cars are awesome. They've always had a bump over, quote unquote, a standard model because of you know the way you can get the the the, the old racing livery on them, but. I, you know, truthfully, when I look at the car that RM is selling, and it's the very traditional, it's yellow, it's got the black stripes, says Ford GT. These, this reminds me of more of the the original, like the prototype car when it came out. And I think these are um, these really harken back to um, those older GT40s, where you know that obviously inspired these. So I think there's a little something for everybody in these. Um, I love the way uh, the traditionally painted one looks with the stripes. That really takes me back to Le Mans. So I can live with this one. You can live with it. Okay. Well, good. Well, I'll see you raise your... Actually, for those that don't know, Brad will be one of our announcers, or the announcer, right? At Amelia? Yep. I'm reading. That's what they call it. <laughs> so I'll be being elbowed off the stage by the auctioneer uh, for talking too much. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be on the side of the stage with the big hook, and I'll grab you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i said they asked me to do it i said this is fine i, I really just get up and do comedy is that going to be what work for everybody they're like do not do that i said okay. <laughs> <laughs> well that's great so if you are attending amelia in person try not to bother brad before the auction but by all means have a beer with us afterwards any other cars you wanted to cover brad well you know we, we have a great list of these things we talked about the stuts in the beginning which i thought was super cool we have a 36 cord 810 phaeton that the reason why I like it so much, it's a beautiful color, um, and the color is actually called cigarette cream, which I think is uh, probably not a color that a manufacturer would, would use in this day and age. They'd probably call it something else, like maybe 
yellow, uh, which is what it looks like to me. But I think cords are really cool. This is the kind of car I think that is going to start getting more attention. Um, cars from the 30s, people are starting to realize that they're all pretty capable. They're, um, you can go up on a modern highway in the majority of them. And a cord is really special because it's front drive. So there's a lot of technology packed into these that a lot of people didn't really get. Um, I may have talked about this the last time, but I'll hit it again because they're my favorite things on the planet. And we are selling CSX uh, 2247, which is an early uh, 289 Cobra, which is just my favorite iteration of the Shelby Cobra. Small block powered. That's the way I like them. I've been lucky enough to drive several of these and every time i just get blown away more there's just there's nothing in that thing that you don't need and um these are really you know a million to a million three ish these have become you know the cornerstone of most serious people's collections if they can get one and they want to have certain blue chip classics a 289 Cobra is absolutely on the list. So I, I love it for that, for sure. And I hope it goes to a good home where uh, people get out there and drive it, drive it, drive it. And there were a couple of other ones that were a little more modern. Let's see. Oh, wait, no, here. I, you may remember this, Greg, from our fantasy football. There is an 850, a 93 850 yes. CSI. Yep. Right? This was my big car that I picked was... The sleeper, because it was just starting to get attention, and they were starting to go nuts, and now they're really, really popular. And this is um, an absolute road trip hauler, you know, V12. It's uh, 380 horsepower with a six-speed manual gearbox. You know, this is like BMW's 550 Marinello to me. Right, right? yeah. This is an absolute gorgeous car. Love them, love them. Um, I can't wait to see what this goes for. Um, unfortunately, I think uh, my uh, potential to buy one of these has uh, has sailed, but uh, my loss is someone else's gain, so it'll be all right. Yeah, I with it. Um, and I did want to highlight one last car, and it's not only the last car that I'm talking about today, but it's actually the last car on the docket at the auction. <laughs> and you know, and sometimes you see like that last car. And they're good cars. Like, we don't leave stuff to the end because, oh, boy, we hope nobody's sitting here and wants to buy it. No. Somebody's got to be at the, at the end. But this 61 Jag Mark II sedan, it's a 3.8-liter uh, six-cylinder, that venerable straight six that Jaguar was building since the 40s through the 90s. These are really capable sports sedans. And I remember when I lived in Colorado, there was a guy with one of these, and he raced it everywhere. Um, he put bigger tires on it and upgraded some stuff under it, but it was still, he was crushing it on the tracks with his Jaguar saloon, and he was really well known for it. So this is not just a car to go and, uh, uh, you know, go to have a quiet lunch in. These are very capable sports sedans, and I hope that whoever buys this car understands that it's got performance potential as well as those stately British lines. And I hope they have a lot of fun with this and uh, tell us everything all about all their adventures with it. You know, you mentioned the last car of the sale. It's interesting you say that because I remember two off the top of my head. One of them was 
at Scottsdale last year was, I believe it was a Mercedes wagon or something. And it it actually doubled the top estimate. A few people just had to have it. And then at Monterey last year, we had a Nissan Skyline R32 or 33. I can't remember which one. And it went over by like a hundred grand. So there was, it wasn't like, Hey, let's get a deal at the end. You know, and this one, eh. like you said, there was some really special stuff that people stay until the end to uh, make sure they have a shot at it. Yeah. It's not, it's not Sunday morning at the farm auction. Come on. Good stuff. Saturday late afternoon at the Ritz Carlton. Yeah. There's a big difference there. (laughs) That's right. Well, awesome. Brad, is there anything else you wanted to cover on the podcast? Hey, I'm just excited about the sale coming up. I mean, there's there's so much action these days. We've come off, um, we had a stunning um, Arizona sale, right? And and what's nice is everybody's winning right now. The car market is a strong place to put money and to have a great time. So Arizona was good. Our Paris sale was awesome. The Amelia sale, I expect, will do very, very well. And as we look down the horizon of the rest of this year, 2022 is going to be pretty cool. So I keep looking forward to what everybody finds. You're one of our talented specialists. Keep finding this good stuff and bringing it to market. It's good. It's great. (laughs) That's right. We do find some cool stuff. All right. Well, thanks, Brad, so much for your time today. All right. Nice. Always, always nice being here, Greg. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.